0: All right, so we are focusing on the um, biblical value of trusting in the Lord with all of our heart. And I mentioned um, there are 12 um, expected results of anyone who trusts in God, who acknowledges the Lord as such in their lives. And I don't know if I'm going to go into super detail with all 12 of these things but some of them I would like to go into some detail and um, we uh, started with um, one of the results that we can expect if we trust in the Lord with all our hearts and acknowledge him in all our ways and we see it right here in our verse in, in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 it says that he shall direct thy paths. And that's what we talked about last time. We talked about God's guidance in the life of his people who trust in him and who acknowledge him in their lives. We That is one of the things that we know that we can experience is his guidance, his, guidance, his direction. And how does he guide and direct us? Does he write it up in the sky? No, it's right here in his word, isn't it? Yeah, it's in His written word. That's how He guides us. That's how He directs us. And so as we, are, as we put our nose in the book and as we pray and as we are sensitive to, to the Spirit's teaching in our life, that's how He guides and He directs us. The second thing that uh, we can experience if we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding is we can experience blessing. Blessing. Well, I'm going to put it this way. We can experience a, uh, the potential of happiness and blessing in life. Happiness and blessing in life. Now, who in here does not want to be happy? Anybody? I just want to be miserable for the rest of my life. Who in there wants that kind of life? I, I don't. I don't. Uh, Proverbs 3.13 says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. Let me ask you another question. You think the Lord wants you to be happy? Or does he want you to be miserable? What do you think? Nobody's saying anything. (laughs) He wants you to be miserable. Don't you know that? Sure he does. He just wants you to just suffer and be miserable. There are some people out there who actually believe that. They actually do believe that. Well that's not true either. Um, happiness what is happiness? Well some folks say it's a it's an emotional state characterized by feelings of joy or satisfaction or contentment or fulfillment right um, A lot of folks say pursue happiness a lot of different ways, a lot of different means. Uh, but more often than not, you know, it's whenever you speak of happiness to people, it, it's it's always positive, some sort of positive emotion, some sort of satisfaction about life in general. That's that's happiness, um, a state of well-being, a state of contentment. You know, that's all. All of that's wrapped up, wrapped up in happiness. Uh, experts tell us. That people generally need uh, three things in life to make them happy. One, something to do. Uh, something meaningful. The more meaningful, the better. So, something to do makes people happy. Uh, something to look forward to. You know, a goal or a reward. You know, uh, something that makes all of this worthwhile. So something to look forward to. And the third thing that uh, we need to be happy is someone to love. Someone to love or someone who loves us. So a meaningful relationship, a nurturing and and meaningful relationship. When I saw that, I thought, you know, that's that's interesting to me because that kind of reminds me of what 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says. If you stop and think about it. And now by the faith, hope, charity, these three... But the greatest of these is charity. Do you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ fits all three of those requirements for happiness? He does. He he, he fills all three of those requirements for uh, for happiness and contentment for the believer. I mean, in something purposeful, right? Um, For something to do, something meaningful in life, we've got what? We've got the Great Commission. We've got the good news of Jesus Christ. We can tell a lost sinner how they can be forgiven and not go to hell. That's a pretty good purpose in life. That's a pretty good purpose in life. As far as something to look forward to, (laughs) right? One of these days, we're going to be with him. And one of these days, he's going to come and rule on this planet. And we're going to be right there with him. In that administration. So that's something cool to look forward to as we (coughs) serve Him in glory in the kingdom. And then that's our hope, right? The first is our faith, then our hope. And then, as far as love is concerned, who loves you more than Jesus Christ? Does your husband? Does your wife? Does your brothers or sisters? No, there's nobody that loves you more than what Jesus Christ loves us. So all three of these criteria Jesus Christ fulfills. All three of them fulfills. Preston, would you do me a favor and go get me a bottle of water, if you don't mind? Thank you, sir. Uh, The Apostle Paul spoke about uh, contentment. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Paul spoke about contentment. Yeah, when he wrote to the Philippian church, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, if you're there, raise your hand, okay, thank you Oliver, he says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, verse 10, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned that whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what content. I know both. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, when Paul wrote this, we all know, right? Paul was in prison. He was in jail. If you were here when Doug. Pearson spoke to the church. He showed a, a picture of one of the prison cells that Doug was in, uh, Doug that uh, Paul was in. Just a hole in the wall, you know. But yet, even in that even in that environment, even in his circumstance, he said he was content. He was content, and that's a part of being happy is being content. Why was Paul content? Somebody read to me verse 13 of Philippians 4. There you go. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Some of your more modern translations leave out Christ. Well, that's the mistake that a lot of people make. They leave out Christ. They leave out Christ, and notice where the notice where Christ is in that verse. Where is where is Christ at in that verse? He's smack dab in the middle, isn't he? So if Christ is in the middle of your life, right, then you will experience happiness. You will experience contentment. You will experience joy and satisfaction. You see, Paul's contentment wasn't dependent upon his circumstances, it was centered in Jesus Christ. It was centered in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What a crazy attitude is that? You know? But that's that's where Paul was. His peace was not based upon his predicament, but, but in the person of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ. Who is the center of your life? Or what is the center of your life? You know, on one occasion, as the Lord was teaching His disciples, and those that were with Him, uh, He spoke of Himself as the good shepherd. And He compared those, Himself with those false shepherds who were leading the people astray, these, these false shepherds, and he likened them to strangers and, and thieves and, and robbers. But to those who refused to, to follow the false shepherds and choose to follow him as the good shepherd, Jesus gave them a, an important promise. In John 10.10 10, he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy but Jesus said this I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly more abundantly now when you consider the word abundantly what comes to mind a lot yes over and above the norm a lot that's exactly right it's it's something over and above what we would consider ordinary so if you know Christ as your Savior, <coughs> one of the results of knowing Him as your Savior is that you could, you may experience this abundant life that He promises. That He promises. Returning, returning back to the Apostle Paul, this faithful man was in prison. He he didn't deserve anything to be there. He, he didn't. He didn't deserve to, anything to be there. He. He found himself dependent upon the kindness of others, because back in that day, Rome wasn't going to feed you and clothe you. I mean, it's not like prison systems today, where they've got air conditioning and color television and everything else like that. No, it was the friends and the family that helped out the, the prisoners, or their relatives that were in prison. And if nobody came through, Paul did without. He simply did, and that's what he said here. He said there were times when I had absolutely nothing. No food, no water, nothing. But yet, but yet, all of that, he still was content. He was still content. He was still happy. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that this abundant life that Jesus Promise to those who follow him <clears throat> goes beyond material things, doesn't it? It goes it goes beyond material things. It's not contingent upon one's circumstances. This abundant life, this joy, this happiness that we can experience. Because we trust in the Lord with all of our heart is something that is where? It's on the inside. See, that's why I drew this fellow on the outside looking sad. But on the inside, in his heart, even though you may be sad on the outside, you can still have joy on the inside. Does that make sense? Does anybody ever experience that? it's something on the inside you know this old world it provides us with a a myriad of religions provides us with all sorts of philosophies I don't care how many religions this world offers you I don't care how many philosophies these smart guys offer you none of them can deliver on the promise that Jesus promise in regards to the abundant life. In fact, if you read about a lot of these philosophers, when they reach the end of their life, they are a depressed lot of people. The best the world can offer you folks is something temporal. Something circumstantial. The old saying, you can't take it with you, it's true, isn't it? It's true. Proverbs 28:14 says, "Happy is the man that feareth always. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart; lean not unto thine own understanding. Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth heart shall fall into mischief." <clears throat> Billy Graham talking about this. He says, The happiness which brings enduring worth to life is not the superficial happiness that is dependent on circumstances. It is the happiness and the contentment that fills the soul even in the midst of the most distressing of circumstances and most bitter environments. That's that abundant life that only Jesus Christ can provide. That only Jesus Christ can provide. You know, I've, I've had the privilege of being with some dear saints of God who are at the end of their race. Alright, I'm, I'm talking just days, weeks, maybe even hours from going on and to be with the Lord. And I've been around them and I've been, I, I, I talk to them and there is such a peace what I call a a calm happiness about them because they have this, even though they may be perishing on the outward man, they still have this joy, this faith, hope, and and charity and love inside because of Christ. Though they are in physical pain, they have rest in their souls and I've also been around folks who do not know this piece and they're just hours from passing on into eternity and I I remember clearly one visit I had with this, this, this lady no matter how hard I tried to tell her That she could have forgiveness and that she could have peace. She was so filled with terror and so filled with horror. It was almost like I wasn't even in the room. And she passed away in that state. That was terrifying. That was terrifying. But that's the kind of peace and the joy that the world has to offer. In the end it's nothing it's nothing now some of you might say well I believe in Jesus as my savior but I'm certainly not experiencing anything about this abundant life I've been there I've been there, done that but I do know this God never promises on something that he never that he will not deliver. You understand what I'm saying? If God has promised you abundant life, he's going to deliver on it. So if God's going to deliver on his promise, I wonder where the problem lies. Is it God? Is it God? Is it God's fault that you're not experiencing the abundant life or I'm not experiencing the abundant life? Again, Proverbs 28.14 Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. I've said it before, it's, it's an issue of the heart, isn't it? It's always an issue of the heart. It always is. I mean, if we stray from that path of light that the Lord has laid out for us in his word, that may be the cause of your unhappiness. <laughs> That may be the cause of your not experiencing this abundant life. I'm not saying that's the case all the time, but that's something we need to consider. That's something we need to consider. I've heard preachers say the most miserable person there is is a person who's out of fellowship with God. I believe that's true. I, for the most part, I really do believe that's, that's true. I know that when I'm out of sorts out of fellowship with God, I'm not a happy guy. And I'm not a happy guy to be around either. Just ask my wife. 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full genuine joy. God wants us to live a full abundant life and I'm not trying to be one of those Joel Osteen types. I'm just telling you that's the facts. That's the truth. I'm not trying to finagle any money out of you or anything. I'm just telling you the plain truth. God wants us to live this abundant life. He just does. He wants us to fellowship with Him. He wants us to fellowship with Him through His Son. He wants to fellowship. 1 Peter 3.10 and 11 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. You know, frankly, when, uh, even when we're out of fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're out of fellowship with our family and friends, of course, unhappiness is going to go right along with that package. It just is. Sometimes we might be miserable uh, because we're unwilling to mend those fences that we've broken down. I'm telling you, fellowship with the Father is key. It just is. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just so important. It's just so important. Uh, when I'm out of sorts with others, then I find myself out of sorts with God. I don't know if it works with you that way. But isn't it amazing how we are so connected to our relationships, even though we might want to claim we're not so? But we really are. We really are. You know, this fellowship with the Father is accomplished by being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And if you're out of sorts with others, chances are you're not walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. If I'm in a funk, it's not the Holy Spirit in me that's in a funk. (laughs) He's never in a funk. It's me that's in a funk. He's just along for the ride. I could be out of sorts with someone or Maybe I've let something, something somebody said, or something somebody did or didn't do, and so my soul gets all out of joint. Is that the Holy Spirit's fault? I don't know. Sometimes I allow, allow my circumstances to control my mood. Am I the only one that that happens to? See, it's not all. It's not dependent on. Our joy, our happiness, our blessing, and in, in trusting in the Lord, it, it, we make it contingent upon our circumstances. We make it contingent upon how we get along with others. We do. We do. Notice here in, in what I read about the fruit of the Spirit. We have love, joy, and peace. Notice that joy is sandwiched in between love and peace. Sandwiched in between love and peace. When you love like the Lord, then you're going to be at peace with others. You're going to be at peace with God. You're going to be at peace with yourself. And guess what happens? You're going to experience joy this world we live in turns everything upside down doesn't it they pursue joy where joy isn't to be found there's a certain group of people I call them the alphabet people they call themselves gay they're not they are the most miserable unhappy people I'll probably get in trouble for that, but I don't care. And our carnal nature—it's—it's—it's a—it's a constant source of trouble for us, isn't it? I mean, both the world and our carnal nature—you know—we pursue after things that we think is going to bring us happiness, and—and and it doesn't. It never does. I mean, we pursue these things because the problem is we end up making who number one? Yeah, ourselves. We love ourselves too much. But this world offers and our flesh chases after, it'll never provide contentment, it'll never provide satisfaction, it'll never provide uh, joy or happiness. You might think it does for a little bit, for a little tiny season, But it won't. When our carnal natures are focused on ourselves, unless you make me happy, I want nothing to do with you. Isn't that the way it goes? Unless you make me happy, unless you fulfill my needs, I want nothing to do with you. That's really how a lot of folks live their lives you know what that is that is the proverbial carrot on a stick we used to have an old uh, what was penny a a beagle and our kids that poor dog our our kids would tie a coat hanger to her back and on a piece of string just out of reach they put a piece of hot dog And that poor dog would walk all over the house trying to get that hot dog. It was just right there. But that's the way a lot of people live their lives. Just like that beagle dog. They got this thing strapped to their back and they're just out of reach and they're chasing it all their lifetimes and they never get it. They never get it. It's like that old children's song. It's a never ending song. It's a never-ending pursuit. Ecclesiastes 2.10, it says, And whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I would labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. I think King Solomon could get anything he wanted. But yet it was empty. It was all empty in vain. And if we make ourselves a primary focus, if we make our own happiness the primary focus in life, instead of the Lord, we'll never know true happiness. I saw the... I don't remember the young man's name. He is the fellow who who uh, has identified himself so that he can compete in women swimming sports. And he was interviewed and they asked him about his impact on women's sports. You know what his answer was, paraphrased? Well, for the first time in my life, I'm truly happy. That's his motive, right there. He doesn't care what kind of impact he's making on anything other than his happiness, his personal happiness is being met. That's the way the majority of people live. Making ourselves a primary focus of our own happiness, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. Proverbs 18.14 says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, <coughs> but a wounded spirit, who can bear? You know, we're pretty resilient creatures. Uh, we can put up with a lot of stuff. Uh, one, of, one of the things that I I like to read is I, I like to read the testimonies and the stories of... Um, folks who survived the holocaust when adolf hitler was in power i mean some of these stories of what these people experienced and what these people went through and how they survived it just it's just amazing to me the resiliency and the determination of the human nature to hang on to life and we're pretty resilient creatures But with every one of us there comes a time where we reach the end of ourselves and that resiliency isn't good enough anymore. That's what Paul discovered when he says, "I learn to be content right when he put Christ at the center of, I can do all things because of Christ as the center in his life. That's where we got to come to, folks. We got to get to that place where Jesus Christ is the center of our life. Psalms 147.3 says, He healeth the broken in heart and bindeth up their wounds. We should be so jealous of our relationship with Jesus Christ that we allow no one or no thing to steal that away from us because when they do, they take away your joy. They take away your faith. They take away your hope. Don't let them do that. Don't let them do that our love for God should overrule all other relationships. Is that a hard saying? Yeah, it is. That is a hard saying. What was it that Jesus said? If you don't hate your mom, and dad, brother and sister, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't believe he was saying that you hate them. In other words what he was saying is, is your love for me should supersede your love for anything and everyone else and you know what I discovered that when I when I put God first and when I love God as he deserves my other relationships become more richer more richer is that good English thank you you know they're enhanced even those i don't get along with very well <laughs> he makes the difference is what i'm trying to say he makes the difference he makes the unbearable bearable psalms 84:10s for a day in the court in thy courts is better than a thousand he says, I, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a son and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed or happy is the man that trusteth in thee. You see, when we value the presence of the Lord in our lives and in our hearts, and we take heed to his word to guide us and direct us through this life, not only will we experience his guidance and directing, but we also will experience that abundant life that he promised. That's a promise from God. That's not something I'm telling you. That is a promise from God himself. (laughs) We'll come to know that abundant, purpose-filled life that some guy down in Texas likes to talk about. Right? Uh, That hope that that poor woman that I spoke with didn't have and then that meaningful relationship knowing that there's nothing that will separate us from the love of Christ even in times of great tragedy and loss those who trust in the Lord with all their hearts experience this this blessedness, this joy Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Here is a fellow who um, experienced a great tragedy in his own life. Hopefully I'll have time to get through it. 1 Samuel chapter 30, in verse 4, this is David. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept. Until they had no more power to weep, and David's two wives were taken captives Ahinoam, I guess, the Jezreelitis, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David, what did David do here? He encouraged himself in the Lord his God. A great tragedy had happened. The enemies of David had attacked the village where his family was while David and the men were were out. And while David and his men were away, the enemy came in and stolen away the wives and the children. This caused great grief to David's men, great grief to David, to the point that they were so grief-stricken that they wanted to stone David. What these men had forgotten was that they joined themselves to David right but yet here here now they wanted to stone David and that's how many of us face tragedies in our life we 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 want to blame somebody else we want to put the blame on somebody else you know we waste our time blaming others for our grief let me tell you something about that blame game. All it does is compound your grief. That's all it does. We spend all our time putting the blame on someone else, focusing all of our attention on what they said or what they did or what didn't do or failed to do. And you know what happens when we focus all of our attention in blaming others? We fail to see what God is doing in this situation. That's what we do. We fail to see what God is doing in the situation. And when we fail to see what God is doing in this situation, then we fail to cooperate with God to help us in this situation. No, we'd rather wallow in our misery. I bought the t-shirt on that one. David himself was also moved. David wept just as hard as his men. David also experienced loss. David's loss was twofold. Not only did did David feel the loss of his wives, but he also felt the loss of his men. David was a good leader. He felt the loss of his men. So where in the world is the blessing in all this? Well, there's three things here that I saw. One... It drove David to the Lord. It drove David to the Lord. This was a major low point in David's life. He was exiled from his own home. He was persecuted by King Saul. The Philistines wanted nothing to do with him. He comes home, finds out that the village has been raided. His families, the families are gone. Now even his own men want to stone him. Right? Now his own men wants to stone him. What does David do? Well, he throws himself down on the ground and has a hissy fit. No, he doesn't. He goes to the Lord. He goes to the Lord. He doesn't shut the door and close the curtains. He goes to the Lord. You know, David up to this point hadn't been walking very well with God. That's why he was where he was at. First Samuel 27.1 And David said in his heart, I shall not perish one day by the hand of Saul. <clears throat> there is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. Alright? That's the first thing we do. We leave the place of blessing. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. He really didn't, but that's what he thought. Sometimes we try to run away from things. His faith faltered. He ran away, allowed his circumstances to drive him away, not only away from Saul, but also away from the Lord. So now God brings this tragedy into his life to bring him back to the Lord. That's the first step. Go to the Lord. Because he is your source of joy. He is your source of strength. The second thing that it did here was it not only drove David to the Lord, but it also drove David to pray. Verse 7 of 1 Samuel 30, And David said to Abiathar, How do you pronounce his name? Abiathar? The priest Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, Bring me hither the ephod, and Abiathar brought thither the... He fought to David, and David inquired of the Lord. He prayed. He inquired of the Lord. He went to God with this problem. He went to God with this problem. He said, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? And we learn later on that God told what David to do, and led him to victory. Drove him to the Lord... Cause them to pray. You know, one of my favorite hymns is written by a gal by the name of Fanny Crosby. If you know anything about Fanny Crosby's life, uh, she lived a tragic life. She really did. But she wrote some of the neatest hymns. I know you guys know this hymn. I know you do. What a friend we have in Jesus all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our our refuge. I love that. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise thee, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord of prayer. In his arms he shall take and shield thee. Thou shalt find a solace there. That's probably the last thing we do, isn't it? Take it to the Lord in prayer. But yet when we acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways, what we're doing is we are committing this into his capable hands. Even in the midst of our difficult times. And the third thing this thing did for David, it drove him to the Lord, it drove him to pray, but it also drove him to action. It drove him to action. First Samuel 30 verse 8, And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them and shall recover all. See, that's where a lot of us, a lot of folks, fail. Oh, it may drive them to the Lord, it may drive them to prayer, but they don't do anything after that. They don't do anything after that. They choose to wallow in their misery. That's not the abundant life. God has given you the solutions, but yet there are some of us that don't want to do the solutions. They choose rather to stay in their misery. They don't want to listen to good counsel. They refuse the good counsel that's given them, and in so doing they stay in their misery. No, it's it, you put it into action but what, what is it I'm always saying trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey put it into action that's exactly what David should have done prior to his prior to this situation he should have remained In the place of blessing, he should have remained true to God's word, he should have remained seeking God's face, now he's back in that place, now he's back in that place. Turn to Proverbs chapter 16. We're still talking about blessing associated with guidance. Joy still associated with acknowledging the God as your Lord. Proverbs sixteen verse seventeen and seeking God's face. Proverbs uh, sixteen seventeen the highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He that keepeth his way preserveth his soul. Am I dismissing a godly walk? to get where I want to go and do what I want to do? Verse 18. Pride goeth before destruction and high spirit before a fall. Is my motive prideful? Is my focus entirely on me rather than what is good for others? Proverbs 16:19. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Am I refusing to humble myself before God in order to get my agenda to come to pass? And get what I believe will best profit me, even if it hurts others in the process. Verse 20, he that handleth the matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, what does it say there? Happy is he. Am I looking to God's word for counsel, instruction, and guidance, or am I ignoring it? Verse 21, the wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increases learning. Am I listening and biblically evaluating the counsel being given to me by godly godly counselors? Am I listening to my counselors? And am I checking out what they're saying to me from the word of God? And if it lines up, am am I putting that into action in my life? Proverbs 16, understanding is a wellspring of life unto him that hath it, but the, but the instruction of fools is folly. Or am I listening to those who only reinforce what I selfishly desire or want? Don't we do that sometimes? We'll find a counselor that agrees with us even though we are as wrong as wrong can be. These are hard questions we have to ask ourselves. But if we desire, if we want to experience that blessing from God's guidance, those are things that we need to to grapple with. Those are things we need to be honest about ourselves with. Are we taking action as God directs us or are we remaining obstinate and stubborn? Because we want our own way. That's not the path to happiness. That's not the path to happiness. There are three things that will steal away your happiness in the Lord. Uh, When we stray out of fellowship, as David did. Uh, When we live a life of carnality, pleasing ourselves and living for ourselves. And when when we choose to go the way of the world and its thinking and its behaving. All of that is contrary. To, um, to happiness for the believer. All of that is contrary to the happiness for the happiness of a believer. Our joy is centered in a person not in a predicament in a person and when we give Jesus Christ that that rightful place in our life Then we can and may and will experience his guidance, and we can and may and will experience his joy and his blessing. I'm going to close with this. Um, I um, read an interview uh, by one of the uncles of one of the victims. Of that uh, tragedy that happened in Texas. And this news reporter was uh, interviewing this uncle, and this reporter was shocked to hear what this uncle had to say. Uh, she um, asked him a question, and what she expected to hear from this uncle was uh, an impassioned plea to take away guns and and all this kind of stuff. you know the you know the narrative, but instead, this, this, is what, this is what this uncle said. Um, this, is what the, this is what the interviewer writes in, in, in their article. Alonzo said that he bonded with his niece over their faith, which is clearly carrying him through this unimaginable tragedy. He even volunteered that he forgives the gunman who killed his niece, 18 other children and two adults in cold blood. I forgive him. As powerful, as powerful as that is, I forgive him, Alonzo said. When pressed on how he could get to the place where he forgives the shooter only days after the massacre, and even before Ellie was buried, Alonzo cited scripture. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 that we must forgive one another just as God has forgiven us. He says, I hold no hatred toward him. He says, I am filled with anger about this situation, but I feel no hatred towards him. The reporter was absolutely stumped. Why? Because that man had a peace and a joy that she or the reporter could not relate to. Could not comprehend John 16:22 and now you, therefore you have sorrow but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you now I'm not trying to make any kind of political statement or anything like that nor am I making light of that tragedy or the grief that any of those people are, are experiencing please understand that is not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there is available to us something that the world cannot possibly comprehend. And that is a joy in knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you make Christ the center of your life, our today may be bleak and dark, but our tomorrow is absolutely glorious amen father in heaven we thank you lord for the son for your son jesus christ who is our hope who is our joy who is our strength who is our everything we thank you so much lord that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die on our behalf to take upon himself the penalty of our sin and that through him we have the hope of everlasting life We thank you and we praise you and we exalt you, Father, for that. I pray, Father in heaven, that we would share the same joy with others that may not have it. Father in heaven, that we would um, just uh, open our mouths and just share the happiness uh, that we have in Christ. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.